Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, episode number 72. Yes, microcosm is so, saying it correctly. Yeah. So back then, I didn't have the the awareness of that. I was just, you know, you don't, I didn't have the awareness of my subconscious and how people could impact it. So I didn't realize that what I was allowing in my circle, the word I was hearing and the stuff I would expose myself to, for example, what I would follow on Instagram and the conversations I would have with people and stuff like that. I wasn't aware as much as I am today of what I was exposing myself to and how it could impact me and my beliefs and my uh, values and stuff like that. So I was struggling more with accepting my own sensuality because other people couldn't accept it. So because there is a lot of slut shaming going on and because people assume stuff and they talk bad and stuff like that, then they are like convincing you of their own excuse the world bullshit. And then they get into your head and they are making their standards become your standards. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with another episode of the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. Um, as you guys are listening, the podcasts are coming out every week. And I've been interviewing a lot of followers lately. I'm not exactly sure why, but it feels it feels cool. Um, so you guys have heard from Julia and Sophie and Danielle and Larissa and... We're going to keep it going. And our guest today is Lydia Laprade. Did I say your last name correctly? Yeah, kind of. You added some style to it. It's very <laughs> French. It's La Prade. So, of course, La Prade is like, uh-huh, flavor. Mm, so, I, I speak English and Spanish. And in Spanish, you know, you pronounce all of the syllables, you know. But, of course, yeah. in French, uh, the, unless it has an accent, it's not going to be uh, pronounced. Uh-huh, exactly. But it's fine. La Prade is okay for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I've been studying French for about a year and the pronunciation is still kicking my butt, but um, <laughs> my Spanish is helping me understand it like when I'm reading it and yeah. things like that. But the pronunciation, ooh la la, that's, that's a whole nother, another animal, the pronunciation. You got this. You're going to be able to do it. No mm -hmm. problem. So, Lydia, um, thank you for taking some time out of your day to join us for a podcast. I really appreciate it. And how has life been for you during quarantine? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> That's a heavy, <laughs> heavy subject. Well, thank you first for having me. I'm very happy to do this. And... uh 
Well, let's just say that I had a life before quarantine and then a whole other life after uh, the lockdown and the COVID uh, episode. Like my life changed from A to Y, almost A to Z. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Definitely. And can you Mm -hmm. let our listeners know where in the world you are? I am currently in South of France. Uh, I am at my mother's uh, house because I live in Paris for for six years, but I was born in South of France. So I have my parents there and I basically go to visit them every summer. So I arrived yesterday. Actually, I was still in Paris yesterday yesterday morning. And now I'm in South of France uh, near uh, Marseille. Mm-hmm, I've heard of Marseille. At my, yeah, exactly. That's where I am. It's very sunny and there's the beach. Like it's a whole other lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Versus the busy city life in Paris. Yeah, exactly. But I, I live in Paris. That's where I'm based. I gotcha. So uh, if somebody on our podcast listening now has never heard of you before, uh, can you let us know in a nutshell uh, what you did in the dance world before COVID hit? Oh, um, what I did, I was, I mean, I am a dancer, an interpret, a choreographer, an artistic director. I've done video clips, uh, shows, uh, creations. That's how we call it in French, but it's basically long pieces uh, of shows in theaters. So it's like, a one hour and a half or two hours uh, show that we uh, perform in theaters. So in French, we call it a creation because Mm -hmm. working in a theater and working in other areas is very different. It's a whole different world. So I'm both in the, the entertainment and in the theater and I choreograph for, I don't know, for shows, for creations as well, for video clips. Um, I create content. I make videos. I, uh, I'm pretty much kind of everywhere. I love to do everything. So I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, just doing everything. So I'm a performer. I'm yeah. And a teacher, of course, because that's where I feel the most, um, helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I give a lot of classes kind of everywhere in the world. I'm not really based in Paris. I do give some workshops in Paris, but I travel a lot in the congresses and the festivals and, uh, even in dance schools sometimes. And uh, yeah, so that's what I do technically. And uh, the dance styles in which I work are, uh, well, Kizomba Semba Afro and also the hip hop dance scene uh, with kind of kind of all the hip hop dance styles because I was uh, I went to a school. So I'm trained to dance Mm. pretty much everything. So that's what I've been doing my entire life before COVID. Yes, that's awesome. I didn't know about the theatrical aspect of it. So we can maybe sink our teeth a little bit into that and you can kind of share some of that um, and how that comes to your style and your presence as well. Because um, I've seen your name pop around a lot with like different videos. And I remember the performance that you had with Shamalo, the robot one. And then mm-hmm. I've seen your Afro house videos and things like that. And like the, the lady styling it in like the Kizoma aspect of it. But um, one thing that I really love about the podcast is like, hey, I wonder how they even got to where they're going. And then how much is Kizomba a part of their life? Like, obviously, there's right. lots of different elements. So maybe this is just something that's what 
10, 20% of their dance life and they have a whole other dance life that we haven't seen, you know? True. Absolutely. And it's the, it's, I wouldn't say 10%, but uh, I do have a whole lot going on besides Kizomba, besides what everyone sees uh, on the social medias and where everyone sees me. Mm-hmm, definitely. So it's good to have you on the podcast to kind of give us a sneak peek of what's going on inside. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. So let's go back in time and let's talk about when Lydia was first introduced to dance uh, at a young age. Oh, yeah. I, I think I was dancing before I was walking. Actually, yeah. I literally have videos of like my early, 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 early uh life young life like i was in diapers and i have a i know i i know for sure i have videos of my like second birthday or something Mm -hmm. and i am dancing well i'm a dancer and i'm a fighter as well so i used to train mma and thai boxing and stuff like that yeah yeah yeah. okay (laughs) (laughs) and my father is a kickboxer so my father is the one who gave me the passion for dance and for fighting both so it was just a small uh a small information just to let you know that my father is actually the one who showed me kind of everything and on the video he is like playing with with uh, his belly he's waving with his uh, i don't know his abs or something mm-hmm. and i'm i'm pulling my shirt and i'm just doing the same with my big ass belly of a baby <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm just reproducing what i'm seeing and i'm like turning and i'm dancing so i've been dancing my entire entire life i don't i have no uh, memory of me not dancing literally and i started to take classes my mother brought me to my first belly dance classes when I was like four or five or something. Oh, wow. So you guys started really young. Yes. And I, I've been doing belly dance for almost 10 years. And then I uh, met the hip hop dancing. So I was introduced to hip hop dance and break dancing and stuff like that. And I literally fell in love. Like it was a huge crush. And that's when I started to, you know, take the turn. And then I started to train hip hop dances and then, Mm -hmm. you know, years and years and years after Kizomba. And that's how, yeah, that's my life, my dance life. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you started dancing hip hop? I think I was like 12, 11 or 12, something like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, something like that, 11 or 12. So that's uh, like 14 or 15 years ago. Awesome. So if you don't mind uh, going back to your parents, you remember you mentioned that your Mm -hmm. father influenced you with uh, martial arts and also with dance and then also your mother with belly dance. So was that something to do with uh, their cultural background? And this um, you mentioned that you were born in the south of France. So. What, uh, I guess, were the nationalities and the cultures that your parents exposed you to at that young age? Yes, for sure. Well, my mom is a, an immigrant. She's Algerian mm-hmm. and she was born in Algeria. And then she married uh, my father, who is French from south of France. Mm-hmm. And then she moved to France and that's where I was born. So, yeah, I, I guess she brought me to belly dance classes because of her 
Arabic background. I don't mm-hmm. know. I guess so. I never asked her actually, but that's a good question though. And uh, so, yeah, that's why I started to dance belly dance because my mother knew that style of dance. It's cultural for us. And my father, well, I don't really know. I just know he was like, he used to be in the gangster, uh, you know, gangster business. Like he was, uh, he, he fought his, his entire life. Like he was a young, uh, you know, a young gangster from the streets, mm-hmm, you know, like sure. the, the kind of one you don't want to play with. But that's why <laughs> he was young. Now he's so sweet and kind and everything. Mm-hmm. But he used to be, you know, in this stuff. So that's why he's a kickboxer. That's why he's a he's a fighter. And that's why he's he introduced me. Like he was making me dance in the living room. And then after he would put his hands in front of me and I would I would uh, you know hit like jab, jab, direct, you know. Exactly. Like, yeah, he introduced me to all of that very, very young. I don't know if it's very it's if it's cultural. I just know it, it goes with his personality, his character. Mm-hmm. He would fight during the day and then during the night he would go to the club and he would dance. Like he was dancing so well that everyone would make a cipher around him just to Mm. look at him dancing. Like he was so proud to tell me about these stories of his, uh, his youth, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So in the scope of, uh, your parents and them showing you the belly dance and the fighting. Um, oh yes, I wanted to talk about the fighting. How long do you still practice any fighting now, or how long did that go on throughout your life? Well, I'm going back to fighting now, but I stopped uh, about six years ago because I moved from south of France to Paris, and I started a dance school, and I didn't want to hurt myself uh, in a stupid way, so mm-hmm. I just focused on dancing with my body so i stopped uh i stopped uh, fighting i mean training mm-hmm. and uh before that i was uh i was kind of training i wasn't really um like for example i would go to uh, thailand and train for 10 days or two weeks really hard at tiger muay thai or phuket top team or something like that and then mm-hmm. i would stop for like two months so i was i wasn't really um consistent mm-hmm. so i I, I'm not like, yeah, I trained for five years. Like I just, my, it's just like dance. I remember me training my entire life, whether it was with my father or with the people I knew clubs, I knew here in South of France, but I, I stopped six years ago when I moved to Paris and now I want, I want to go back to it because I have more knowledge about how to take care of my body and make sure that my side, like my hobbies are not uh, interfering with my job, which is using my body to dance, you know? For sure, yeah. So now that I have more, you know, responsibility, knowledge, well, I know how to handle everything and take care of my body and my health. So now I want to go back to it because I feel ready to do both. Mm Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Like it's, it hasn't even been 20 minutes and I'm like, wow, I I didn't know any of this at all. And so (laughs) now it's like, do I... I don't know. It's, it's really nice. It's awesome. So uh, <laughs> let's keep the interview going. And so obviously you did martial arts and then you did the belly dancing and yeah. you started really, really young. Um, and then you mentioned you went into hip hop and you trained in that as well. So when did partner dance become a thing in your life? 
Well, I was introduced uh, to Kizomba through a video on the internet. I, I was actually in my first year of um, professional course at the dance school. So I was already in Paris mm -hmm. and I saw a video. I cannot remember which one, but I know I had a crush first on the music. Mm -hmm. And then it was a partner dance. And I, I had never done any kind of partner dance dancing before i was i've always been a solo dancer before mm -hmm. and so it was something new and i saw that the role of the woman was very feminine and beautiful and fluid and graceful and i was attracted to that because obviously i was training every day sweating uh hair messy hair <laughs> and you know wearing uh, large uh, outfits uh, dancing with the guys in a very uh, masculine way because you know it's hip-hop dancing so yeah of course you can be feminine but not all the time and exactly. so yeah i was you know very very masculine and very uh it was very different from what I saw in the video. So I was like, oh, I want to do that. And I had friends from the hip hop scene that were actually already in the Kizomba scene. So mm -hmm. I asked them and they said, yeah, just come to this party and then you're going to dance. So I went there and I didn't go to the class. I just, you know, went into the swimming pool all the way and uh -huh. I just let myself go and I started to dance. And then I started to go there every week. And it was kind of my appointment with my femininity, you know, because I was putting makeup on, like mm. wearing heels. So I wasn't very used to dance on heels either. So, you know, I had to dance on heels and dance with someone else. So now it was no longer me versus the music. It was me versus the music versus what the leader is telling me to do. So the dimension was very, very different. And it, it brought a lot to my solo dancing to have my senses so open now because you have to open up when you are dancing with someone and receiving information from a leader when you are the follower, you know? So it just opened my head and my senses so much and that's how I, wa I wanted to keep going. And then Africa Dansar and all the rest, you know the story. Yes, but let's, let's not get to Africa Dansar just yet. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about like your first couple of socials. Like uh, mm -hmm. who were you dancing with? Uh, what was your experience? Because I talked to some of the other ladies who had similar histories of solo dance, then to partner dance. And they talked about how it was hard for them to learn how to follow and, and listen and when are they supposed to style and not to disrupt the lead and all these kind of things. So how was that for you at the beginning of you learning how to partner dance? Mm -hmm. Well, at first I had, uh, I didn't know anything about styling. I didn't mm. know it was existing. And of course I wasn't ready at all to uh, go to this area. I was just focused on following first because it was already a challenge. It was already me getting out of my comfort zone. So I wanted to go step by step. Yeah, exactly. So I was focusing on following and not styling because following was already something very new. And I wasn't struggling very, very much at first because I was dancing with my friends. Mm. So I didn't really want to dance with other guys. I wasn't feeling ready because I knew that I didn't have the codes. I was still learning about the culture and learning about the technical part. Mm. 
So I was first dancing with my friends because I had more confidence and I had more, I had less guilt with making mis- about making mistakes because at first when you're a beginner and you're a freaking perfectionist, <laughs> you don't want to make mistakes. Right. Yeah, so, definitely. And if you are not lucky, what it was not my case, but that's a small message for the Kizomba community. If you are not lucky, you can um, be surrounded with people who are hard on mistakes because being afraid of making mistakes from the followers, uh, it doesn't only come from your own perfectionism and your own willing to do good and stuff like that. It also comes from other people who make you feel bad about making mistakes. So mistakes are no big deal. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought it was, and then I was so afraid of making mistakes and then, you know, bothering the, the leader I was dancing with. So I didn't go straight to other guys, I went first with my friends. And then when I started to understand the codes and the puzzle, I was like, okay, I kind of know where, what I'm supposed to do when and how and stuff like that. So then I started to uh, dance with other guys. And of course I had more, um, it was more difficult to follow back then than now, because now I can let go way more and I have more confidence and everything. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm not sure that the following part was the um, the hardest. I think the hardest part was to uh, be able to separate, like be able not to stay in the what am I supposed to do mindset. Because when you're a follower and especially a beginner and you were first introduced to a partner dance, you're like, what am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. You feel like you have a responsibility and you feel like you have like, there's so much stuff on your shoulders when it's just all about you dancing and you enjoying and sharing a moment with someone, you know, it's not you being supposed to do something. And at first it was like that for me. So I didn't really struggle to follow. I struggled more with dissociating, uh, the image of I am supposed to do something and the realness of I'm just here to enjoy, you know, I'm just here to dance. Actually it's a dance. It doesn't matter if I'm solo or or with someone, it's still dancing. It's not me becoming responsible of something because I have an interaction with someone else. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I think that's really, really important. Uh, I can definitely feel the difference dancing with a follow who is dancing with herself and with me. And that's like, as a leader, you like are a leader of her dance energy, you know, but when she doesn't have that energy and she's like, what am I supposed to do? It's like, you don't have any engine to like keep the dance going because there's no flow going on there. I don't know if that's the best way to, to describe it, but I definitely feel that. And I try to kind of explain that to some of the followers that I get a chance to work with. I fully agree. And you use the right word. It's flow. You are keeping the energy from flowing when you think you have, you are supposed to do something when you just focus on you enjoying and reminding yourself that it's just dance. Then the energy is flowing Mm -hmm. in your own body and 
with the other person you're dancing with? Uh, coming from a solo dance background, uh, I'm curious to know if the closeness of Kizomba and the sensuality of it uh, was a barrier for you. Because uh, you mentioned before it was like a date with your femininity and mm-hmm. you put on a high heels and makeup, which is different from the solo dance background. So I wonder if that was a barrier for you of being close to another person with this partner dance. Yeah. Um, how can I express that properly? There definitely was some struggles, but I I think the struggle was was more uh with myself than with the other person because mm. i have you know when you're when you're a fighter and you're wrestling and even when you're a dancer even if you don't do partner dancing you are always in contact with people so being mm. in contact with someone it was it was okay for me it wasn't something i was struggling with but i was more struggling with my own acceptance of my own femininity and sensuality and what other people would say about it and stuff like that because there is a lot going on and especially like when you're a woman you struggle with more stuff it's definitely for sure it's a fact right and when you are in um in a scene in a in a culture in an environment like dance like it's a small version of the real entire big society a right? microcosm of the outside world a yes. microcosm i know <laughs> i know the word at first but i wasn't sure if english was the same i didn't want to you know so yeah a microcosm of society absolutely so everything is contrasted you have to face what you're supposed to face in real life you have to face this to face it twice as much because now it's smaller so the contrast is bigger mm-hmm. so in general, there's a lot of, for example, slut shaming in life. Mm-hmm. And women have to face slut shaming twice as much in the dance scene. So, you know, especially, for example, the hip hop dancing that is pretty much, uh, you know, it's kind of a hardcore environment, you know, where women are as- are acting in a very manly, masculine way in order to make it to protect themselves for example, well, when you come from this scene and all of a sudden you're wearing bodysuits with your big ass and you are waving your hips and stuff mm-hmm. like that and rubbing a guy while dancing, well, slut shaming is on the road. That's for sure. That's something sure. you have to face, right? People are assuming that you're doing this because you like to be close to guys and they are making that a big deal because if even if it was true what's the problem with that but then you know they're assuming a lot of stuff and then yeah shaming goes on and on and on women are being shamed that's how you say it we are shaming women a lot with their outfits and their behaviors and what they like and what they do with their bodies and what they do with who and then and when and why and how and so we have to face a lot of that all the time and yeah, then you need, you, you are struggling with more stuff because it's a microcosm. Yeah. Microcosm. Yes. Microcosm is so, saying it correctly. Yeah. So back then I didn't have the, the awareness of that. I was just, you know, you don't, I didn't have the awareness of my subconscious and how people could impact it. So I didn't realize that 
what I was allowing in my circle, the word I was hearing and the stuff I would expose myself to, for example, what I would follow on Instagram and the conversations I would have with people and stuff like that. I wasn't aware as much as I am today of what I was exposing myself to and how it could impact me and my beliefs and my uh, values and stuff like that. So I was struggling more with accepting my own sensuality because other people couldn't accept it. So because there is a lot of slut shaming going on and because people assume stuff and they talk bad and stuff like that, then they are like convincing you of their own, excuse the word, bullshit. Mm -hmm. And then they get into your head and they are making their standards become your standards. So before I thought I couldn't be too sensual, like I was very paying attention and very uh, careful with how I do and what I do and when I do with who I do and stuff like that, the way I dance, the moves I accept to do and stuff like that. So I was actually more struggling with my own limiting beliefs with closeness and sensuality and um, touch and stuff like that. So I had to accept that I actually like being sensual. I really love the sensual version of me and I am not doing it with the guy. I'm actually doing it with myself. I am enjoying my own sensuality, my own grace, my own beauty. And that's why I, what I struggled most more than struggling with accepting someone inside of my uh, circle close mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. I was more struggling with my own acceptance of my own tastes and what I like to do and what I don't. And it was hard for me to let go of what people would think and say about it. Now I'm really freaking free <laughs> with what I want to do. And I, that's how I accepted more my sensuality and I could let go more with having someone close to me and dancing with a person. Wow. That yeah. was, that was a lot. A beautiful. <laughs> no, it was a lot, but it was a beautiful answer. You know, like there's really so much to unpack there from yeah. the role of women uh, in the dancing and in, in Kizomba and your own sensuality and self-awareness and the judgment of others and liberating Absolutely. and your limiting beliefs and all that. So, wow, that was a, a really awesome answer. And I'm glad that I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so my mind is kind of tingling with different questions. So I'm going to try to like focus myself and, and make sense. Um, yeah. one, one question that I have is, are you aware of what the, the five love languages are? And if you know what your love languages are, uh, I do. I did hear about the love languages. Uh, I think there is uh, gifts, mm -hmm. there is words, there is a, a, a affection like touch. Yes. There is, uh, and I acts can't of, remember. Acts of service and yeah, right. words of affirmation. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I did hear, I, I don't know them by heart, but I did hear about it. And um I tried to figure out 
which one was mine, but I kind of feel like they're all mine. Mm. I, I can feel loved with uh, any of them. And I express my love through all of them, actually. Mm. So I'm kind of still struggling to figure out which one is the the heaviest, the 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 hardest for me. But yeah. um yeah, it doesn't I'm have to of, be like a dominant one. Some people definitely have dominant ones, uh, but I've yeah. definitely come across some friends. Uh, the term that we use is that they're a universal donor of love. Like they don't care oh. how it comes to them. They just uh, accept it and receive it uh, through and they don't really discriminate between the, the different oh. love languages. I feel like you just um, unblocked another state <laughs> and level in my life. I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. Well, you know what? That's what I am too. Nice. I am just giving love and receiving like, no matter the form and the shape. And yeah, that's how I feel actually. So thank you so much for giving me the message. I just unblocked another stage and level in my life. Thank you, that's Charles. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, I did a podcast with a friend uh, about the five love languages and Kizomba maybe about two years ago when I first found out about it. And so I, I tend to ask different people and hearing the way you speak and you talk about self-awareness, I was like, she probably has heard about the five love, love languages. And so uh, I felt inspired to, to ask about it. Yeah, um, I'm, actually, I'm a coach next to dance. I'm a life coach. So really? I Okay, yeah. just let's add that to the list of the things that Lilia <laughs> <laughs> offers to the world. <laughs> yeah, I am becoming, I'm, I'm on the road, but I, I just consider myself one as well because it's called affirmation, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I actually use this stuff in my teaching. So I'm, my approach of teaching is not, it's not superficial. It's not me working on a move and me working on a technique. It's me using those tools and this, those things I know about, for example, love languages or a soul. How do you call that in English? In French, like if I translate literally, it's the five uh, wounds of the soul, the five principle uh, wounds, you know, it's treason, injustice, mm. uh, ab ab abandonment, mm -hmm. rejection, and the f the fifth one I can't remember, but it's um it's uh, it's stuff that I use. It's tools that I tools that I use in my teaching as well. So that's why I know about it, and it's very 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 connected and helpful in the dance. Mm -hmm. You said it correctly. Five wounds. That's how we were. It's like uh, a wound can be like a battle wound or it can be like an emotional wound as well. So, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're wounded. You can be emotionally wounded. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So that's what I use. I really like this approach. Mm -hmm. This is a very nice episode. Um, I don't I don't want this to come across as like a. Uh, underhanded compliments, but I'm really surprised at the, um, I was not expecting to be so intellectually stimulated from hearing about oh. you and your story. So yes, it's, it's nice. Thank Very nice. You. Thank you so much. That's sweet of you. Thank you. So, um, going back to dance, um, mm -hmm. When did Afro House become a thing? Because I've seen some videos of you dancing Afro House and ooh la la. And even in the, <laughs> the choreo with Shamalo, you did some Afro House as well. So you mentioned belly dance, you mentioned 
Afro, uh, hip hop, and then you said mm -hmm. Kizomba. So I'm curious, like, uh, when Semba and Afro House and Kuludo became a part of what you do. Well, I actually loved Semba more than Kizomba ever since I started. Like, mm -hmm. I had a I had a harder crush on Semba when I was first introduced to it because I was first introduced to Kizomba and kind of urban kiss style. Mm -hmm. when, I w when I discovered about Ang Angolan uh, culture and the music and the dance, like Semba was a huge, huge, uh, heavier crush. So people don't really know about that because they know me through the the robot show and, mm -hmm. and the hip-hop scene and they're like they assume that i'm more a urban keys dancer mm -hmm. but i'm definitely not like urban keys is last in my uh list like i kind of enjoy it i like mm -hmm. it but i love kizomba and semba way more and i practice it more and so Semba was a crush uh, when I when I was first introduced to it. And Afro House, I kind of always knew about it, but I never really practiced it before I came into the England culture uh, because I come from hip hop. So we have in the hip hop culture, we have the funk styles, locking and popping. You mm -hmm. have the hip hop, uh, you have hip hop from back in the days with the new jack swing you have the break dancing that was one of the first and then you have hip hop new style from new york style and then you have la style as well so you have hip hop in general and then you have the club clubbing culture that was uh that was uh, how do you say that joined to the hip hop uh, culture and you mm -hmm. have house dancing so i started to do house dancing like 10 years ago or more even more and in house dancing you have afro house but not the afro house from angola not the afro house from south africa you have afro house with just house music influenced with afro rhythms which Definitely. is basically the definition of afro house but i'm just saying that it was more house than afro and afro house from angola and south africa and stuff like that is more afro than house because i, I understand what you're trying to say for sure <laughs> yeah you know deep house with africans uh, flavor african mm -hmm. rhythms flavor so i kind of always knew about it because i would make the bridge between this and what i would see on social medias and stuff like that and i've always known about a few traditional african dances which are practiced uh, at school for example so i practiced uh, uh, traditional dances from senegal from cameroon from congo from so i kind of always knew about it but i never really practiced it and then i came into the angolan uh, culture Back then, when I danced with Shamalo, my Afro House knowledge and level wasn't so good because mm -hmm. I, it was very fresh and new for me. But now that I hung out with a lot of Angolan and, and, and Portuguese and, you know, people the, that know more about culture. Mm -hmm. absolutely the Palp culture. Now that I, now I know more. So I didn't really take any class. I was just observing and understanding and um cultivating myself about it and that's how my level rised yeah mm -hmm. rise and uh and yeah so back then with shamalo my level was still very very low but i always loved it like african rhythms i remember myself because my father uh 
used to be a musician. So he's really in love with music and he used to play music all the time at home, in the car, whenever, wherever. And he would play any type of music. He really loves every, every, every style of music from jazz to soul to uh, African music. Doesn't matter the country, doesn't matter the, st- the style. He will play Arabic music. He will play Latin music uh, from Cuba or whatever. He will play everything. But I remember myself being more aroused and excited with African rhythms in the car, like when it was an kind of African song playing, mm-hmm. I felt the difference. I, I think that my system and my body and my soul are more uh, stimulated by African rhythms. Like even when I used to belly dance, my favorite part was when all the instruments would stop and only the darbuka was playing. Like I really have a huge amount of love for uh, percussions and African musics. And so that's why I was kind of always listening to it. And I kind of always knew about it. But now that I am really into the African culture and Mm -hmm. Angolan culture, now I'm very much more serious about it. And I I taught myself basically um, in order to pay respect as well. You know, I have to know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and yeah. you mentioned that your mother was Algerian, which is North Africa. So uh, there's definitely uh, a connection there of like the the history and the lineage and all that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, did you just say that Algeria is not Africa? No, I said it's North Africa. Okay, I heard <laughs> not Africa. I was like, oh my God, my no, heart was humbling. <laughs> okay, North Africa. Yes, of course, exactly. It's still Africa because, you know, there is a big struggle between North and South Africa, but whatever. Mm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's not Africa. So I, I yeah, I, I know that my roots have something to do in all of that. That's for sure. Definitely. So, uh, thank you for sharing the love for African rhythms and polyp culture and all that kind of stuff is really important to have that knowledge, especially as we learn about Kizomba, start to spread more of the culture and the history and things like that. Mm, So, uh, how long did it take for you to realize that you were extremely lucky to be, uh, learning Kizomba in Paris, which is like one of the best places globally oh you are saying you are speaking the truth right now (laughs) and actually i don't know how you know that but i actually wasn't aware and became aware so you are uh reaching a a good point right now (laughs) so yeah i used to be not aware of my luck and now i'm very much aware of it because i just traveled i traveled and i witnessed i saw that the level was different from a country to another from a city to another and yes paris in is one of the is the city was one of the best level uh, levels yeah i don't mm-hmm. know but it's one of the best cities in the world to dance zomba that's for sure and I became aware of that. Well, yeah, actually, when I started to travel. So back, it was not long after I started because actually I started uh, end of 2015. And mm-hmm. 
I started to travel after winning Africa Dancer in 2016. So yeah, it took me a year to realize it, but now, now I'm very aware of it. And I really take the best out of it. Definitely. Uh, I think Paris and obviously starting to spread to other European cities as well, but it's like, uh, mm. it's like its own self-fulfilling ecosystem, you know, because the DJs uh, are there and then they're creating their own music and then the teachers are there and they're training the dancers and then there's the venues and the organizers. So it's like without any, not a lot of outside influence, like it's just within its own bubble, it's creating all of the necessities that you need to like kind of uh, build that hub, you know? Mm, absolutely. You are absolutely right. Yes. Uh, I've been to Paris maybe four or five times uh, mm -hmm. to go and train and then come back to the States to, to teach. But Paris oh, is always... just the train. Mm -hmm. you, didn't, you didn't go there for an event or something? It was more so like I've been to the Paris Kizomba Congress and I've been to Sweden. Yay, the next like one is coming in November. Uh -huh. I'll be there. So... And then obviously like you can go to Paris and like almost every day of the week, you can find a social to go and dance to. So, um, yeah, every day. Mm -hmm. So like back when I guess DJ Stakes was like more, I guess, involved in like creating tracks and things like that. It was easy to like follow him around and uh, mm -hmm. DJ Chad and all of these guys in park football. So you just kind of go around and follow your friends and say, Hey, this is where the party is at. And then, uh, just yeah. kind of soak up the the vibe, which is really fun. That's how, that's absolutely how it is. Awesome. So we've covered a lot so far. So uh, you 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 gave us a hint, and I wanted to kind of uh, shine a light on that a little bit more. From when you first started Kizomba to mm -hmm. when you competed, and I guess you started to travel a lot. So like, how how much of a time frame are we looking at? Oh, a few months. Oh, wow. So you just Everything went fast. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I just like, just like you said, I literally just had started. I, so I had started for like a few months and I mm -hmm. went to a few uh, parties and then I met Shamalo in a party during a mm -hmm. party. And because we have the same background, the connection was uh, very quick. So yeah, we were dancing and he was like, oh, and then he said, girl, I'm trying <laughs> to do these moves with so many women and it didn't work. And with you, it was like natural and stuff. He was like, mm, there is something. And then we started to talk and we realized that we knew a lot of people. We had a lot of people in common and mm -hmm. we had the same background and stuff like that. So that's how our friendship started. And then one day he comes to me and is like, hey, uh, there is this competition. Uh, it's called Africa. I had no idea <laughs> about what I was getting involved into. And I literally didn't know about the festivals and the artists and mm -hmm. Africa. And I had no idea. I was like going to school from Monday to Friday and minding my business and dancing hip hop. And like, I had no idea. And he was mm -hmm. like, yeah, do you want to do it? I was like, yeah, okay. Like I've done a lot of competition back then. I had done a lot of competition back then. And so I just like competition. It's just because it's challenging and, you know, it gives you the, the space to create and challenge yourself. And so sure. it's just cool, you know? So I said, yeah, okay. Well, if you, if you want to, I was like, not very focused. And then we went to the first, um, 
the first step was Paris. Mm-hmm. Then we won. So we were Paris champion going to uh, the national, the France championship. Mm-hmm. And then that's where we did the robot, the, the robot show. And then it went viral. Yes, and it then did. I actually, you know what to tell you, let, let me tell you something. I didn't want to go to the world championship because it was so not important to me. And that's where I'm going to leave a message right after that. Mm-hmm. It was so not important to me, not because I didn't care or whatever. It was because my focus wasn't there. So first of all, you have to know that the Robert show, I thought about it during the night, like in the middle of the night at 4 a.m. I woke up and I had the idea of the Robert show mm-hmm. right after we won in Paris. So I called Shamalo the day after and I said, yeah, what you think about that? And he was like, yeah, awesome. And then he added some ideas and then we, um, we, met, we made the show and then the show went viral. So I, it was really in a, in a place of letting go of not being attached to a result or something that's mm-hmm. when the energy flows and the creativity and the ideas come, you know, and then we went to the France uh, championship and I literally didn't want to go to the world championship and Shamalo knew about it. And then after we won with all the noise that was in the, in the room and stuff like that, he looked mm-hmm. at me and was like, you still don't want to go? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I finally accepted because at, back then it was the first edition where winners had to pay for their uh, flight tickets. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I'm so focused on school and I'm going to have to pay for tickets for a freaking championship. I don't, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, it was just not a big deal for me, but then I accepted to go and then we won again. So I was like, yeah, you know, when you're detached from the result, it just happens. Mm-hmm. And that's early 2016. And I had started uh, with Kizomba. Uh, yeah. Around September or summer, 2015, maybe something like that. So it's just a frame of, yes, yeah, less than a year. It's just a few months. Uh, between the moment I really started with Kizomba and the moment I won Africanosa with Chamalo and we started to uh, travel. Wow, that's super fast. Yeah, it is. But I have my my dance background was so uh, I I had started to give classes when I was 15. So I'm a teacher for 11 years now. Mm -hmm. So my background was enough for me to become a Kizomba teacher, even though I didn't have 10 years of Kizomba in the legs. For sure. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Your dance background plus teaching, which brings a higher sense of self-awareness than just being a dancer Mm -hmm. uh, on top of being in the hub of Paris. It's just like a catalyst. Mm -hmm. So everything comes together and kind of creates the, the perfect storm, you know? Absolutely. That's it. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So um, now that you mentioned that you've been teaching since you were 15, uh, I also feel like uh, I love teaching and, and traveling to teach. Like that's really like my most favorite thing to do um, nice. to like get addicted to uh, the light bulb moments that the students Yay. have. You know, I usually make a joke in class. It's like a Super Mario that's like collecting the coins, but I'm collect- collecting the, the light bulb moments from my students and things like that. Do you have any insights that you would like to share for people who might be starting to learn to teach in Kizomba or otherwise? Because I feel like 
you know, in the Kizomo world, like it's easy for a video to go popular and then you start to travel. And, oh, yes. The, you don't have to really prove yourself as an instructor as long as you're able to be popular enough with your videos. But you and I both know that dancing skill and teaching skill are, are two different things. Absolutely. There are great dancers that are lame teachers and there are great teachers that are lame dancers. So they don't like being able to teach and being able to dance don't always go together. The best choreographers sometimes don't even know how to dance. I know a choreographer, he's a genius, but he's not a dancer at all. Mm. So those are different skills. And I kind of feel like if it's happening this way, it's because people want it to happen this way. You know, the, the, um, how fast people can become teachers just with a viral video and stuff like that. I have the feeling that people want it to happen this way because they want to be successful, successful so fast and not doing anything or doing the very the least. minimum. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I have the feeling that it's going to be hard to educate or re-educate people. But since you're asking me, I'm just going to say it and hopefully it's going to, you know, uh, fall into people's brains and Mm -hmm. have a good impact. I just want to tell people who are starting to teach, first of all, um, be honest with yourself and with everyone. Like, for example, if you cannot answer a question, just don't go around talking uh, bullshit. Don't mm-hmm. say bullshit to people just because you want to fill the space and you feel awkward not to know and not to be able to answer or stuff like that. Don't make up stuff just to make people believe that you have a pedagogy. Pedagogy mm-hmm. is how yes, you say it. Definitely. Yeah? And like, don't make up stuff to fill the space because you want people to believe that you have something to say and that you are in the right place, that you are actually a teacher. If you don't know, you don't know. If we are, if you are asked a question and you cannot answer, just say, you know what? I don't have the answer. I will look for it. And once I find it, I give it to you. Or if during your class, you have the feeling that uh, there is space to fill or something, just fill it with something that you master and something that you know is good and know is right. Don't fill it with lame information saying mm-hmm. A and then showing B. And, you know, like I think honesty and authenticity are very, very important because when you are a teacher, you are educating people, you have a huge responsibility and you are becoming an example. People are looking at you and reproducing what you are doing. And therefore, what you say, what you what comes out of your mouth, it goes straight to their subconscious. Mm-hmm. And then you can grow entire limiting beliefs in entire communities. Like if you go to a festival and you have a hundred people in your classroom and what you say is bullshit, then you just said bullshit to a hundred subconscious. Yeah, for sure. You know, the hundreds of conscious minds. So being honest and authentic with what you know, what you master, once you want people, where you want people to go, 
Like you have to be very aware with what you feed. If you, you know, if you have certain standards and certain values in your life, then make sure that you, that you as a teacher, as an artist, as someone who is listened to, make sure that what you do and the messages you are giving are matching what you are, who you are as a person in the everyday life, your standards, your values, your principles, your core lifestyle, you know, your core values, it has to be inside of your teaching. And I think, yeah, I really believe honesty and authenticity are very, very important. Don't try to do like everyone else. Don't try to copy people and don't, don't believe that. Yeah. If they're doing this, if you were, if they're doing it this way and they're famous and they're booked everywhere and stuff like that, I have to do it the same way because that's Mm. how it works. No, it's not true. Your own way is right as well. As long as you're honest with yourself and authentic. Yeah. I think that's super, super important to be authentic with what you bring to the table. And like you mentioned before, like being uh, not afraid to show that the people that you're still a student as well, just because uh, Ooh, you got yeah. booked for a festival or anything like that doesn't mean like you're the all knowing person. Oh, no, no, no. And we're, I, I really love the quote that says when one teaches to learn. And so it really just yeah. uh, creates an opportunity for the teacher and the students to kind of help each other learn and of course, like you see this uh, combination of like dancers being uh, really good teachers sometimes and sometimes they're not good teachers, but the, the act of teaching definitely uh, helps you understand your body in a different way because you're being kind of like scrutinized by the students and then your mind can be opened by a question that a student asks and, oh, I didn't think about it this way. And so now it forces you to take the information that you think you know and look mm-hmm. at it from another angle, you know? Yeah, I fully, fully agree with, with what you just said. And I think it's very deep and very, very true and important. And actually, teacher and student are just like l- labels. Mm-hmm. Because a student can teach to a teacher and a teacher can learn from a student. And we are all students of life, basically. And that's why I would add that humility it goes along with honesty, actually. Humility is very, very important because being humble enough to know that just because you are up there on the stage with the microphone, it doesn't make you superior to anyone. It just makes you responsible at this very moment of mm-hmm. what you are doing and what you are teaching. It gives you more responsibility, but it doesn't give you more credit or more anything that makes you superior to anyone else. And that's why... Uh, you should still take classes and still consider yourself as a student because that's where your mind is going to be the most receptive to Mm -hmm. information. You can learn walking in the streets. You can learn observing. You can learn all the time. And if if you're wired uh, in this direction, if you consider yourself a student all the time, then you are going to learn a lot, even while you teach. So absolutely. I love the quote you just said. Mm-hmm. I really love it. Definitely. Um, so I have, I got, I wasn't planning on asking this question, but 
from the way that the conversation has been going, uh, I feel inspired to ask it. And it might be a little bit controversial, but I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm curious to see um, what you are. Yes, for sure. So <laughs> I feel that like you mentioned the word ped- pedagogy, you know, and yeah. when we talk about pedagogy in a partner dance world, it really takes the work of two people, you know, the, the leader role and the follower role working together to create these uh, really uh, fundamental, strong pedagogies to then teach these to the students. And uh, you said that you have over 10 years teaching, so uh, you have a passion for it and you understand the importance of it. Um, why do you feel like we lack the partnerships that we need in the Kizoma scene for these pedagogies to become more popular, you know? Uh, I feel like when you take a look at Tango, you see some instructors that have been teaching together for like 10 years. Or if you go to Brazilian Zouk, you see a lot of couples, actually. And the same thing with West Coast Swing. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it could be my perception that Kizomba sometimes, like the partnerships don't last that long and yeah. it's, I feel like it's rare to come across a strong mm-hmm. pedagogy with two uh, couples coming together to really give the, the best knowledge that they have. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty sure like with your uh, dance background, your dance history, you see like the contrast. And I wonder how does that make you feel and why do you think that is? And um, I guess any solutions towards that? Mm, well, it makes me feel very sad, actually, because I wish it was the same way in the Kizomba scene that it is in the, as you said, tango or Brazilian zouk or salsa, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of human ego. It's a matter of ego, for sure, of maturity, of uh, patriarchy going on, because let's be real. Most of the partnerships don't work because the guy don't doesn't treat the girl in a good way and Mm -hmm. it's not me talking about my experience it's just me speaking the truth because i know a lot of couples that split i know the story and i know why and i've been a witness and so it's just a fact most of the time it's the patriarchy going on and that is why um partnerships don't last uh so ego maturity patriarchy uh because the kizomba is younger than all of the dances you've mentioned before i think it's going to take a little bit more time to get there because the dance this dance scene and the professional the professionalization of Mm -hmm. the dance scene is very young we have been teaching Kizomba on a professional international level for just a few decade, d- decades, d- mm-hmm. decade, decades, decades, uh, just a few couple, 10 years. So, um, yeah, of course it's younger and that's why there's a lack of maturity. Uh, and I really think that it's a matter of education and ego and stuff like that. I think we're just going to grow and to learn and to become better because now i think we just don't know better mm-hmm. other people other than scenes know better we don't we are younger and there's a lot of um stuff going around that is preventing us from growing and getting the maturity necessary to get there which is for example the the mindset of people the conception the 
consumption. People are not really students, or they're consumers, they are clients, and we、mm. treat them as such. So it's not. That's why teachers don't feel very responsible because they don't feel that they are being teachers to students. They feel they are being entertainers to consumers,、mm. and there's this is that's something going on in other dance scene, but it's. Um, it's heavier. It's more present in the kizomba dance scene because we are so young in the professional aspect of it. So students are not very students, and teachers not very teachers, and that's、mm-hmm. why couples feel like they can split just like that because they don't feel as responsible as they are. They actually actually are, and yeah, I think it's. The 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 entire mindset and energy and vibrations that are going on inside of the scene, and I think that people are going to grow, and hopefully teachers are going to take it more seriously, and therefore, because a partnership is like. A relationship, a, a, a love relationship. It's like、mm-hmm. a couple. You need to take care of it. It just doesn't work like that. It's not. It doesn't work on its own. You need to take care of it. So from the moment you don't feel responsible, then you don't take care of your partnership because you don't feel responsible as a teacher. So hopefully now people are going to grow and to feel the responsibility that they actually have, and then. Make the efforts necessary to take care of the partnership they are in, in order to make it last, so they can keep on having those responsibilities and being the teacher that the students need them to be. You know, very. I think it's very, very true. And the dancing is very young, and uh, this. Uh, Uh, level of professionalism uh, that you see and, and observe across different dancings, like at at a, I guess at a more overarching level, is interesting to see as well. And it's like it really takes,、um, I guess the the consumers to become awakened to、uh, this level of professionalism and expect that, and so the dancing can grow, you know,、um, yeah. And also from the top, like does it start from the bottom up or does it start from the top down? Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that I've noticed、um, throughout the my years dancing kizomba and like seeing so many partnerships that last not a long time, and、mm-hmm. then they break up, and it's like, man, like what's what's going on? It's like, and then、uh, I've had a lot of follows on the podcast, and just overall students. You just go to a class, and then. Uh, maybe it's just an assistant that's helping the lead, but she's not an instructor. So then the level of information that's given to the role of the follower is very、uh, low or not high quality. And of course, she's doing the best that she can. But like, was there any even lesson plan?、Uh, how do you even start to learn how to teach and break down information and make sure that you're not just showing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, thank you, bye. Because、um, there's so much more to that, you know. Absolutely, and that's why I talked about the patriarchy. Because actually,、um, now we are giving more credit to the leader and not to the follower. Because in general, the leader is a guy and the follower a woman. But trust、mm-hmm. me, 
if the leaders were women and the followers were men, we would give more credit to following and not to leading. It's mm-hmm. just because we are we are wired to believe that women in general are less skilled, mm-hmm. less important, matter less. And it's not me crying about it. It's just me um, shedding some light on it. Um we are wired in the society in general to believe that men have a bigger impact and we have to follow them more and to give them more credit. That's why when couples split, well, the leader is still there and he's mm-hmm. just getting an assistant and he's just getting a girl and stuff like that. But if the, if it was the contrary, then followers, guys, would take an assistant as a leader, a woman, and then they would give the informations for her. And that is just a matter of gender. It's not even a matter of leading or following or technical, whatever. It's really a matter of gender. And I agree when both parts are important and one of them is lacking because the teacher is taking an assistant, Mm -hmm. then there is a huge lack of information and it discredits to the role of the follower slash woman Mm -hmm. because you are now showing that she's not necessary and you're showing that we can do it without her without Mm -hmm. the follow and so you are taking off the credit that she's supposed to have and now everyone believes because i talked about the subconscious we are not consciously thinking that she is not necessary but our subconscious mind which is 90 to 95 percent of our brains mm-hmm. the conscious mind is interpreting the information as such she's not here oh there's an assistant therefore she is not important and not necessary mm-hmm. we can do without her you know so it's a matter of messages and responsibility that's why i'm talking about values and stuff like that if you have loyalty as a core value then you are not going to change partner every now and then and you're going to be a loyal person who wants to show that loyalty is important and therefore you you work with the same partner every time and you show loyalty to the person you're sharing your work with you know that's why i said that your values need to match the way you teach and the way you mm-hmm. behave and and you know your your behavior is sure. and it seems that the the culture of getting hired and getting booked internationally mm-hmm. is not really based on those values but it's based more on entertainment and, and popularity yes because there's a lot of conception absolutely mm-hmm. But it's it's in the hands of the artists as much as it is in the hands of the organizers, as mm-hmm. much as it is in the hands of the public, the students and stuff like that. Because, for example, when you are booking shows and people don't show up because they're here to consume social dancing, then you are showing to the organizers and the artists that the hours and hours and hours and hours of work they put into their shows and the money that organizers put into the shows as well. Uh, well, we don't really care about it. We're here to consume social dancing. So mm. bye. See you later. You know, so it's everyone's literally everyone's responsibility. So, um, the way people consume festivals and consume classes also play a, a, a big role in this entire dynamic. 
Very, very wise words. The the level of respect that I've had for you is like tripled. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I'm happy about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was not expecting um, all of this intellectual stimulation and eloquence and your vocabulary is really, really, really nice. Um, oh, thank you. I'm so happy, actually, because every time I need to speak English to an actual English speaker, I'm like, am I going to make grammar uh, mistakes or something? Is it in or on or into? What am mm-hmm, I saying? Mm-hmm. I'm like panicking the whole time. So thank you for saying that. No, it's very, very, very nice. Uh, I would say for it's the best English I've heard from a person who has been born in France. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's another trophy for me. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Um, so um, it's been over an hour. So uh, it's been a really nice conversation. I'm pretty sure we could probably talk another two hours if we really wanted to. Um, oh, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, to kind of uh, keep the the conversation going in the direction that we have it going in, uh, one concept that's been on my mind as well, when we talk about the the value of the leader role and the follower role, follower role and and the genders, one concept that I feel is super super lacking is that the leaders um, are maybe directly or indirectly taught to not value the feedback that they have from a follower, you know? And mm-hmm. I feel like the the gaping hole that we have in instruction when the leader just grabs an assistant and just teaches one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, let me do my demo, is we're not showing, of course, there's a disservice to the follower about the skills and the techniques and the things that she needs to be aware of in that particular role. But mm-hmm. I also feel like I find if the leader is not being told, hey, I did not feel the signal in this particular step and that's why I didn't do this, then they're so quick to like point the finger to the follower that she's a bad follow. But um, And then teaching a sequence, the follower is just going to memorize the sequence and then execute it. And so mm-hmm. I find like a, I, can t- I can show a lead 500 moves but until a follower dances with that lead and makes sure that the the frame feels nice and that he's giving all mm-hmm. the proper cues along mm-hmm. the way and he's not just regurgitating a pattern and he understands the the underlying techniques behind the pattern then you just it's really like an empty <laughs> an empty move almost because now they're going to go okay. to the social and try to do the move they can't do it and then they point the finger at the follower and in actuality like nobody was giving them the feedback that like, hey, everything is good, but on this step, you need to make sure that you use this or, for example, you know? Yeah, that's something very important you're talking about. And I love to make that image to make people aware of how important it is to um, get the underlying Sub- subtle techniques of leading and following is just like communication skills because mm-hmm. having a partner, a so- social dancing, dancing with someone, it's having a conversation with someone. Mm-hmm. So if as a leader, uh-huh, 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 
know if I'm talking to you like that, of course, you're not going to get the information I'm giving you. So that's why I need to be able to articulate and use proper words, because if then there, you know, if I don't have the right vocabulary and the grammar and the right words to make you understand me, and if I don't articulate and if I speak like that, and then, uh, you know, if I mm-hmm. don't raise my voice enough for you to hear me, if I don't have the right communication skills, which are not making a move this way and then turning my arm and moving my hips and stepping over there and this and mm-hmm. that, it's deeper than that. It's more technical than that. If I don't have that, I'm not going to have a proper conversation. Same for followers. We are not... Um, aware enough of how of what it takes to be a good follower because of course first of all a lot of leaders are taking assistance but then even sometimes uh real teachers didn't do the introspection and the work necessary to give the informations in a way that can be understood by everyone Mm -hmm. so if i if i uh put my fingers on my ears then I'm not making myself available to receive the information so I cannot respond and answer properly to what you just said to me, right? So you have to be a you have to be good with your communication skills, whether it is having an actual verbal conversation, talking, or a conversation with your buddy when you are having a social dance, a partner dance, you know? So um executing moves is something and then making sure they are properly communicated and then properly received in order to be properly answered those are communication skills and those are the techniques that need to be um how can i say that more that need to be more taught and Mm -hmm. and you know, more present in the teaching. So that's why one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight with an assistant is another level of depth compared to a proper teacher who knows his body with the follower who is a, who is a teacher as well. And she knows her body and both are going to be able to explain how it is important to be able to communicate even when you are not talking. Definitely. And I feel like sometimes if there's no female instructor there and she's not going through and maybe dancing with the leads to feel their leads and like be able to like give them little nuances to improve, then there's a a huge gap that uh, the leaders are subconsciously, I guess, being made aware of. And they can carry this for like years and years and years and years. But until they open that door and like and are ready to receive that information to improve their lead. It's like we get we give all the attention to the leader role, but then who you dancing with the social, the follows. So why wouldn't you listen to the follow in the class to let you know that you're doing the move the right way to be able to dance with the followers better at the social, you know? Absolutely. And it's also a matter of humility. That's why I talked about it before, because if you want to be able to receive the information, you need to accept it first. Mm -hmm. You cannot accept, you cannot receive and understand an information if you are not uh, ready to accept it. Mm -hmm. So if you put your mindset 
on yeah i need to listen to the teacher because he does the same stuff as i do so i need to copy him and i need to do what he does the same way he does and i'm going to listen to his explanations and blah mm -hmm. blah if you're thinking that way then you are not opening up to the rest of the information that can come from the follow teacher mm -hmm. all the follows the follow students or a, a social partner or whatever but if you are enough open-minded to understand that you can get the keys to this very precise thing that you need to work on you can get the key information from anywhere uh however it doesn't matter then you are going to be able to receive the information because you accept it so sometimes we are actually giving the right infos but because people don't accept it mm. it's harder for them to process it very nice that was a wonderful answer i'm glad that i asked that question as well so yeah another one <laughs> mm -hmm. so um we're getting close to an hour and a half so we should get close to closing the podcast so Yay. usually um at the end of the podcast here, I give an open mic to let you let people know how to find you on social mm -hmm. media if they want to reach out to you. And then, of course, an inspirational quote to give to the audience. So take it away, Lydia. Okay. Um, you guys can find me on social medias on Facebook and Instagram. But I use more Instagram, so Instagram is better. But Facebook too, as Lydia, L-Y-D-I-A, Laprade, L-A-P-R-A-D-E. So my Instagram is Lydia.Laprade and Facebook is just Lydia Laprade. And uh, if you have any question, any request, you can DM me on Instagram or you can, you can message me on Facebook and uh, I'm always there to answer. And um, I am going to be, well, the next festival that are not yet canceled mm -hmm. i'm gonna be in the states i'm i'm supposed to be in chicago uh in september mm -hmm. uh first weekend of september from the third to the seventh i i think it is yes the afro summer festival exactly afro summer festival in chicago for now it is not canceled yet so i hope it won't be yes and it then, takes wood well, i guess we have to see what happens with covid because it's getting a little yeah, crazy here in the states exactly <laughs> I, I know that's why I'm crossing my fingers mm -hmm. so bad. And then I'm going to be in Paris Kizomba Congress uh, this year as well. Um, and then all the rest I think is canceled. So mm. those are the next festivals you're going to find me in. And then I have my own workshops where I use coaching and dancing uh, during three hours. It's called Ladies in Paris and it's in Paris. Uh, so for now I don't have a date because of COVID and everything, but all of the informations are always, always, always communicated on my social medias. So if you want to find where I'm going to be next, just go on Instagram or Facebook and all of the informations are there. Sweet. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. And have you, is the inspiration coming to you about a particular quote? No, not really. <laughs> I have a quote from Maya Angelou coming in my mind, but mm -hmm. it's not very dance related. It says, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why it's coming in my mind because it's not really dance related, but yeah. And there's another one that I like. It's um, the one that says, 
he can and the one that says he can't, they're both right. Mm, that's a good one. So, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a mindset. Like I'm just, um, it's not really a quote, but it's more a lifestyle and a mindset about uh, being aligned, listening to your inner voices, listening to yourself, being centered and loving yourself before you dive into the outside world. And um, you are in in charge of what you accomplish. So if you think you can, and if you think you can't, well, you are right because you're the one deciding uh, about the outcomes in general because you're the one dealing with their sick circumstances so it's not really the situation it's what you do about it that's why when you say you can and when you say you can't well you're right it's all about you and your mindset mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good mindset um to become aware of our own uh limiting the beliefs and where we could be getting in our own way uh sometimes mm -hmm. of how we're trying to get to different um goals and things in life you know absolutely that's exactly it. Okay, Lydia. Well, it's been a pleasure to interview you. And like I told you before, <laughs> it's been such uh, a pleasant surprise to, I guess, uh, learn that you're, I guess, very Find intellectual. Out you have a brain. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was not expecting this at all. It's, it's just really nice. And like I said before, your vocabulary is also very nice as well. And oh, I appreciate you, so you sharing your history. I learned a lot about you. Um, and I'm leaving the podcast feeling more inspired about dance, uh, even though we're going through quarantine and things like that. And I'm pretty sure our listeners will be feeling the same way as well. Oh, I hope so. Thank you so, so, so much for having me. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for uh, entertaining me for an hour and a half because it was a, <laughs> it was a very good moment for me too. So appreciate you too. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do this again uh, in the near future. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can share a dance one day somewhere in the world. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Definitely. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Love